Northwestern Medicine, relentless in their pursuit of better health care. Learn more at nm.org slash better. This is the segment of the program where we talk with Dr. Kevin Most, Chief Medical Officer, Central DuPage Hospital. Welcome back, Dr. Most. Wonderful to have you back on with us. Dean, how are you? Doing very well. All rested from the holiday weekend. You'd be very uh, proud of me. I've been protecting my bald head in the uh, all this sun, uh, you know, and uh, hydrating and all the things that we're supposed to do in this kind of weather. Good, and I hope I'm sure Dr. Taglia did a great job last week while I was slacking and not working for you, <laughs> Dr. Tagula. Dr. Tagula doing a wonderful job uh, while you were sloughing off. Uh, not. <laughs> Not it must be nice for you just to not give medical advice every single place that you go, right? Because once somebody finds out you're a doctor, you're you're in for it, then, right? Yeah, but usually once I ask them for their copay, they kind of calm down. Often, <laughs> Kevin walks around with one of those one of those things that you can swipe uh, credit cards. <laughs> No matter where he goes. Uh, the big medical news this week it was the FDA's full approval of this Alzheimer, new Alzheimer drug, which we talked about the week previous with the uh, president of the Alzheimer's Association. But just bring us up to date with this. What is this new drug? Uh, what kind of potential uh, does it have? Uh, people need to be talking to their physicians if they are uh, diagnosed with Alzheimer's, right? Absolutely. You know, we talk about blockbuster drugs. This one is going to be probably the tip of the iceberg, meaning that this is the first line of this drug that is is really impacting a disease where in the past we really have not had anything for it. You know, and it's called Lakembi, and like you said, it got full FDA approval this week, midweek, which was, you know, just unbelievably great news. And what it is, it's a drug that we know, and going back even to when the Dr. Alzheimer in 1906 uh, noticed this illness, that there were these clumps of protein in the brain. And what this drug does is it removes those clumps. We never knew if this is going to be the cause of Alzheimer's or because of this Alzheimer's occurs, but it certainly looks like this is going to slow the progression of the illness in people early onset, which is just phenomenal news and now it really is going to be getting to your doctor talking about if you have concerns getting tested to see if this drug would be appropriate for you is this a a medication which is taken in pill form uh injected uh you know how, how does one take this yeah so that's you know that's one of the problems with a lot of new drugs is that they're currently in the form where you have to have an infusion. So this is given to you in through an IV, and it's every uh, twice a month through the IV. Now, they're working on an oral dose of it, but they have to figure out how they can get it past the stomach acids to still be in the form mm-hmm. that it's needed to work in the body because the stomach acid will break this down. Uh, it's a monoclonal antibody uh, drug, so if the stomach breaks it down in the oral form, then it's not worth working. So right now, currently, it is going to be in an infusion form, and uh, hopefully you'll see an oral form of this in the somewhat future. And uh, I would guess that the cost of the drug is uh, pretty astronomical right at the moment. Yes, it is. You know, the cost of the drug is north of $26,000. Wow. 
But I think what's probably more important is the FDA about a month ago said, hey, if the drug for Alzheimer's gets full approval, in other words, it's gone through the process and it's been approved, not in a clinical trial, not, you know, something that's still experimental, that it will cover the cost. Mm. So that's really good news when you think about, you know, six and a half million people have Alzheimer's right now. This is a drug for the earlier onset of uh, Alzheimer's. So you probably have a million people in the United States right now that would qualify for this medication. So certainly the cost is going to hit, but we also have to look at the long game. If we slow this disease down, do we now have longer life, we have a productive life, um, more value, and less hospitalizations and less other medical costs? So they've done the math to figure out that this will be a good investment and the right thing to do for people. Yeah, well, I mean, we've talked so many times about w- what a cruel disease this is, not only for the person who actually has the Alzheimer's, but for their family members, their loved ones, their caregivers. Uh, it, this is a tough one, and if there is anything that can slow it down, and probably will be covered by Medicare and your insurance, uh, you know, you, you need to talk to your doctor. You need to talk to your insurance uh, about uh, investigating uh, taking this on because it has been now fully approved. Th- th- those are the next steps, right? Talking to your doctor about it? Absolutely. That's that's definitely the next step. And we all have to understand that this, this drug, let's compare this to penicillin, right? Our first antibiotic ever was penicillin. And we, boy, we all got around it saying, look at what this can do against infections. Same thing with Alzheimer's. This is the first drug. They will only get better from here on. And there's about three or four more in the pipeline. And as they get better, you'll see lower side effects, hopefully easier way to take the medication, and a lower cost. I mean, look at antibiotics now. We have hundreds of antibiotics to choose from because of the advancement of finding one and then perfecting it as we move forward. Yeah, somebody on the 847 area code is asking about the side effects of this Alzheimer's drug, has there been uh, any, notably? I mean, every drug has something, right? Absolutely. There have been some um, fairly severe. Some individuals have brain swelling. Some had strokes. um, Some had bleeding in the brain. What they found is that there's usually this one subset that has this genetic condition um, where they're going to see the chance of side effects much higher. FDA hasn't done it yet, but we assume that they are going to say you must have genetic testing prior to getting the drug, because if you fall in this one class, you have to understand that you have a much higher chance of having a bad side effect. Now, the vast majority of people are not going to have that. They're going to have fever, chills. They're going to have simple, uh, I shouldn't say simple, but side effects that are very tolerable. However, there is this smaller subset that does have some bad side effects that we need to identify those individuals make sure they understand the risk of that, and then use the drug appropriately in that group of patients. Yeah. Bottom line, talk to your doctor uh, to learn more and see how this uh, may uh, or may not be uh, something that's helpful for you. I don't know why on our text line we haven't had any COVID-related questions in uh, quite a long time, but we've got quite a few this morning uh, from the 608 area code. Uh, Dr. Mose, do you recommend taking the second bivalent booster now or wait until September to take the new vaccination for COVID for people over 65 years old? Yeah, 
It's, it's a question that has been asked over and over and over again. And I'm glad that people at least have the thought process now of what should I do next. Right. So right now, my recommendation would be, you have to remember that the BA4, BA5, that's the bivalent booster that we have. Totally different than the original COVID vaccine. The BA4, BA5 was the bivalent booster. We got it once in the fall or you know, early winter. And then we were silent on a second booster until just recently. Canada had done it. UK had done it. Across the world, they had done it. We were silent until the FDA said, oh, you know what? We should probably have that over the age of 65. Well, I talk about messaging. Well, then now what you do, you message right after that and say, oh, by the way, in the fall, we are going to have the vaccine for the XBB, which is the strain that we're seeing currently, which just added more confusion to people. My current recommendation at this point is to wait for the XBB and to take that one, which is the strain that we're seeing currently circulating Mm -hmm. here. Unless you have a high risk of having a bad infection, I would wait. If you say, hey, I'm immunocompromised, I have cancer, I'm getting chemotherapy, I'm diabetic, I have heart disease, okay, you can go ahead and get that. But the BA4, BA5 is not the ideal match strain right now. It is the XBB, which will be in the vaccine in the fall. Hopefully that didn't confuse people. Yeah. Uh, 847 area code says, my husband is 70 I'm 69. We've both had COVID at the end of April. So we're about 90 days out of the end of COVID. We have several trips coming up at the end of July. We're both fully boosted, but we have appointments to get additional boosters today. Is that appropriate? We're both in reasonably good health and had no side effects from previous boosters. No, um, I would say no. I mean, if you've been fully boosted, in other words, you've gotten two of your boosters and you just had an infection a couple months ago. You still have the natural immunity. I think you are covered until the fall. I would, unless there's some other underlying uh, condition that I'm not aware of with what you're saying, but it sounds like you're fairly healthy, have had two boosters, which is what the recommendation is, and you've had an infection recently, you, you, you're very well covered. All right, let's go to our phone line, which is 312-981-7200. That's for text or phone calls. 312-981-7200. And Ted, you're on the air with Dr. Kevin Most. Hello. Yes, good morning, Dean and Dr. Kevin. Thanks for having me on this morning. Uh, hey, my question to you, Dr. Kevin, is if you would, just rank in harmfulness to us as humans, alcohol, tobacco, and cannabis. Oh. Wow. Mm-mm. That's an interesting question. Okay. It would have been a good question um, for before the 4th of July holiday weekend. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I was going to rank those, I would certainly rank alcohol number one. And when I say that, alcohol in, in moderation is okay. But alcohol in, in you know, too much obviously is going to have impact on many illnesses as well as other health-related issues. So I would rank alcohol number one. Tobacco, I would rank number two. And again, Tobacco, if people understand the, the risk of, of lung cancer based on how many years you've been smoking and how much you've been smoking, and you know that if you stop that smoking at an early age or at a good age, your lungs can re, um, reinvigorate and get back to almost to normal. And then I would put marijuana third, mainly because we know that there's a lot of medicinal uses for marijuana, and used in the right format and in the controlled environment is fine. And we know, like I said, 
you, you have patients receiving chemotherapy right now that marijuana is the only reason that they can keep their nutritional status up. So that would be my ranking. But very interesting question, Ted. Thank you. I wondered uh, just about the ingestion of uh, marijuana smoke uh, into the lungs. You know, any any foreign, uh, you know, kind of uh, pollutant in the air uh, being ingested into the lungs, if that had some effect. Because honestly, I don't know if it's just the places that I go. I smell weed everywhere I go now. People are smoking marijuana everywhere now. And, Amen. And I, Amen. And I wonder, I wonder, you know, is there is, is there no effect uh, for marijuana like there is for tobacco, where you're getting secondary smoke? Well, you have to remember that tobacco is treated with so many chemicals and so many carcinogens that really that's right. the biggest issue here. Right. So when we look at marijuana. If it's naturally grown, certainly it could irritate the lungs. We know it does. It causes coughing. It, you know, any kind of smoke ir- it would irritate it, but certainly not to the level of the carcinogens that are found in t- tobacco smoke mm. and, unfortunately, in a lot of other air pollutants that we're uh, exposed to every day. I, I uh, wondered also when you were talking about, you know, if you quit tobacco smoking at a reasonable age, you can uh, reinvigorate your lungs as a result of that. For how long does that damage remain after you quit smoking? Well, it really depends on how much you smoke and for how long. We go by pack years. So someone that hits the 30 pack years, so two packs a day for 15 years, 30 pack years, that's kind of a magic number there and a tipping point for the damage that you've done to your lungs really increases your chance of lung cancer. Now, there's two different things. You know, we can say I can smoke and I will have irritation in my lung. I'll have bronchitis. I can have um, early signs of COPD after a long time. COPD, where we have chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, that is not going to come back. You have damaged your lungs to a point where they are not going to work. Mm. And we need to give medication and other breathing treatments to make sure that we get the maximum capacity out of our lungs. However, the individual who has smoked for a couple of years only and more has done it socially, you stop smoking now, your lungs will be back to essentially normal, really, in a, I don't want to say a very short period of time, but certainly within a year. Now, I was about a, I was about a pack a day smoker 35 years ago. Am I, am I fairly in the clear oh, that's now? That's why Dean's asking. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's exactly, you are, Dean. I mean, now... Really, the damage that that smoke has has done, if it didn't get to a point of COPD damage, which it certainly hasn't with you, um, your lungs are probably back to the capacity that they would find in a normal, you know, 60-plus-year-old right. individual. Right. If Dr. Oz was here, he'd bring out some healthy-looking lungs so you could see what they look like uh, right. <laughs> instead of the gross uh, black, black ones that he'd bring out. And uh, you'd mentioned, what? too, if uh, for drinking alcohol, uh, in moderation, it's okay. What would you say is moderation? People are going to be outside enjoying cool drinks all day today because it's going to be so nice. What, what Kevin, is a, a moderate amount of uh, beverages to have, alcoholic beverages? Yeah, you know, when we look at individuals who drink a glass of wine or two glasses of wine a day, we know that there's a heart benefit for that just because of some of the chemicals that are actually in wine. We look at some of the other hard spirits, and there's not that much benefit (laughs) at all. So certainly I would limit yourself to a drink, two drinks a day. Anybody who really is drinking 
you know, four or five drinks in a day probably needs to talk to their doctor, should have their liver tested, you know, get some of the blood tests to see to make sure there's damage. And then also talk about, we have to understand, this is a, a disease that can be somewhat silent, but then also is very apparent. And we really have a lot of individuals with alcohol-related I- issues, and, and alcoholism is very high. So certainly something where your doctor asks you about it, be honest, you know, tell them how many drinks you have, uh, whether it's going to be, you know, counseling you on how to drink better and safer, um, or if it's at a point where, you know, you really do need some help. Uh, and let me just follow up one more, uh, Ted. Uh, your your question is a really good one. Um, what about edibles? A lot of people are not smoking marijuana, but uh, ingesting it in uh, candy and brownies and, you know, bake, baked goods. Any difference in health uh, aspects with that? Uh, certainly. So you wouldn't have the irritation in the lungs. Um, the, the one concern I have with edibles is the content, how much, who made those brownies, how much marijuana is in there. And it's kind of in your, in your system now, you know, where you're smoking, you can stop smoking. But once you've ingested it, it's in your system now and you have to wait for it to run its course. So certainly I would be careful with edibles, but again, what's the individual taking it for? A medicinal reason or a pleasure reason? And that's the, that's probably the tipping point there. Yeah, far out uh, question, Ted. Thank you very much. It was yeah. a very interesting one. Uh, related to that, the 847 on our text line, uh, what's your take on chewing tobacco? Oh, terrible. I mean, I hate to say it that way, um, but it is bad. If you look at the number of people who have oral cancers and throat cancers, um, people think that chewing tobacco is good. It's not getting in my lungs. It's not going to cause lung cancer. But when you put that tobacco up against a very um, vascular part of your body, the inside of your mouth is extremely vascular. For anybody who's ever cut the inside of their mouth, they know how much that bleeds. So certainly you are going to uh, ingest or, excuse me, absorb the contents of the, of, the, of the chewing tobacco. And we have seen more and more. Fortunately, it's been decreasing now because the popularity of it has obviously dropped quite a bit. Um, but certainly we know that that is causing a lot of individuals, a lot of problems, not only with their dental health, but also cancers of the mouth and tongue. Yeah. Um, you can almost go back to chewing tobacco for a vast majority of it. Yeah, not to mention it's so disgusting when some yeah. people are yeah. chewing and spitting. <laughs> Beth, Beth, you're on with Dr. Most on WGN. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Um, Dr. Most, is the Alzheimer's drug uh useful only for newly diagnosed or can it benefit people that have been afflicted for a while it's a great question beth and the concern is going to come down to how advanced is the disease so in other words people could be diagnosed early and still have what they would call the early signs of it and it hasn't advanced and hasn't progressed much what they are going to do with this drug is obviously if they said we're going to give it to every patient with alzheimer's we would swamp the system, and they probably couldn't even make enough of the drug. So really what it's looking at right now is looking at it's going to be used for individuals who are early onset or minor symptoms. So um, the person with advanced is probably not going to get the benefit that they've seen with this drug. But those individuals who are early onset, just diagnosed, minor symptoms, 
it certainly would be the one that they would be uh, focusing right now. But still something with which Beth should check with a doctor, right? Oh, 100%. 100% because what you think may be advanced, the doctor may say, oh, no, that's minor still. Those, you know, the, the stages of Alzheimer's as far as where an individual falls, the FDA hasn't said exactly what stage they're going to cover up to, but certainly it's going to be in those early stages. Good luck to you, Beth. Thank you for the call, Dr. Most. I hope you enjoy your beautiful Sunday today. And as always, thank you for all the great information. We appreciate it. You got it, team. We'll talk soon. Dr. Kevin Most, Chief Medical Officer, Central DuPage Hospital.